The Startup Life is brought to you by Target. No matter if it's household items to make your home more aesthetically pleasing or a 65-inch TV to complete that man cave, Target is the go-to place for high-quality products at an affordable price. Start your Target journey with a link in our show notes. Target. Expect more. Pay less. This week on The Startup Life. Culture All-Star is someone who, if you could replicate, that would provoke, that would create the, the ideal company in the future. All right, Startup Nation, so let's take flight with Josh Levine, organizational culture expert and author of Great Mondays. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother... Startup Nation, do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own look, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to see some value today. We got a big time guest in the building today. We got Josh Levine of Great Mondays. What's going on, boss? Hey, man, how are you? I can't complain, brother. Are you ready to pour some knowledge in the Startup Nation today? Hell yeah. All righty, let's do it. As always, <laughs> Startup Nation. My name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. So, Josh, my man, first things first, let's get this party started off right. Tell us about your path to entrepreneurship and share your origin story with us. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I actually started as a graphic designer. I moved out to the Bay Area to get, to get a degree in graphic design. I started working for a brand strategy agency, and uh, actually transitioned into brand strategy because out here in the Bay Area, you throw a rock and you're going to hit an incredible graphic designer. So I needed to kind of identify my own unique value. I was a good designer, but not a great designer. Still am. Still am a good designer. Gotcha. But uh, hard to compete, right? So I tried to, you know, really tried to identify kind of where my unique value lay. And so as a someone who had a lot of experience doing facilitation, working with executives and really kind of having those strategic conversations around brand, I kind of moved in that direction. So that was my sort of quick early, early life. And then after about six or seven years with this company, I wasn't really growing. I felt like I needed to get a new, get some new experiences. I had been there obviously a long time. I was the first employee. And so gotcha. I made this sort of agreement of, uh, okay, I'm going to transition out of, you know, through over six months. So that gave me some time to, you know, do some business development and try to find another job. So I got a couple sort of standing offers and uh, right kind of the literally the day that I walked out was 2007 and the uh, housing bubble mm. burst and the entire economy collapsed. So every single one of those job offers that I had, the folks I was talking to, they're like, you know, we're going to wait a quarter. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I don't even I don't I've got nothing now. Like I got my, my, the whole thing right. behind me and the, nothing in front of me. I've got a young son. So in my mind, I, you know, the quick question was, uh, who do I know and what can I sell them? That was like, I didn't have a choice anymore. <laughs> really? Fair enough. Right? Right. 
So then that's really what kind of put me in the position to have to start my own business. A lot of people, and I'm sure your your audience would have, can appreciate and has this experience too, where people are like, oh my God, you started your own company. That's incredible. You must you must be really bold and brave and confident. And, and, <laughs> and the truth is, is I just didn't have any other options. And Dominique, what, what was really kind of powerful about this time, yes, there was sort of this forcing function, but what I had was time to, like sort of the time and the space to think about what I really wanted to do. So there was no, I wasn't trying to fit any job descriptions. So I thought I had the six months of like, what do I actually want to do with my life? Right. And that was when I when I really started to come up with this idea of helping people. This was the first, literally, this is the, the first thought, which was not the first thought, but like the kind of the first evolution of the idea was helping more people be happier at work. I hear that. Right. I mean, and, and that's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to help more people be happy, but like I, I wanted to do it through work. I felt felt work and business was really a powerful place to do it. And so to me, that was like, how do I actually do that? And that in combination with kind of reflecting on projects that I had done in my previous company, we did a lot of external brand work, but there was a couple projects that were really powerful. I felt like we were working internally, helping the employees and, and managers understand why they were doing what they were doing. And I felt like that was really where I could make the biggest difference, know what he was doing it. And I thought this was a really important idea. And so eventually, I didn't know it was called culture at that point. Company culture wasn't really a thing that was in the sort of the public sphere. As a matter of fact, once I actually did figure it out and I was like, oh, this is what this is called. I started doing all this research and I was like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. And so essentially everybody kind of knew me in my community here in the Bay Area where I've been for about 20 years. Gotcha. They knew me as a brand strategy guy. And so I was like, you know what? Now I'm all about culture. And everybody was like, it was a resounding, like dead fish. Like nobody <laughs> understood what that meant. Right. They kind of turned their head and were like, I don't understand. And I was like, uh, I mean, brand strategy, right? Cause I still need to make money. Right. So it was this dual experience of, I found, I figured it out. I had this like a literally aha moment, right? The clouds parted the sun on my face. I'm like, this is it. I right. am really, I want to do culture. And that was when I came up with the the concept or the name of Great Mondays. This was the clear concept, but the market wasn't ready. And that is, that was a huge piece of my story here is that I continued to deliver on and provide services in that brand strategy space while developing my expertise in, as well as hoping and <laughs> pushing the market in the right direction, right? I, I was very I don't know, you can say confident, you can say maybe misguided, you can say stubborn, that eventually culture was gonna be something really important. Luckily, luckily for me, it did. So that is, I stuck it out for a long time, doing, you know, providing, kind of doing the stuff that I used to do, funding this new idea and pushing it forward. And so eventually kind of figured out and, and worked on launching some communities around culture and working with, you know, pushing these articles and eventually writing my book on culture to kind of get my name out there and push the market forward. And what I can tell you now is that about half of our, happily, half of our revenue now comes from culture work. Half of it still comes from brand strategy and, and we don't advertise or promote that. But if when we've done a lot of work in it, so we have 
repeat clients. We have folks that have heard about what we do and we try to get that kind of work when it makes sense for us. So that's the transition. So even, even now when eventually culture, this idea of company culture has finally popped, it's happening, but it's still not supporting the business in its entirety. So I want to disabuse the entire, you know, your, the, all, all your listeners right. <laughs> of this idea of like, ta-da, you know, Josh wrote this book and now his entire career is funded by culture projects. It's, it's not, it's going to be 10 years before that actually happens. I think I, I certainly hope that it's going to happen sooner. This is the kind Absolutely. of work I want, right. but this is it, the reality of it is, you know, I run a small business and you know, we consult here in the Bay area. There's a lot of work, but it's still, you know, it's still up and down. It's still a difficult slog of professional services business. And so we get the work, we try to get the work that we, we can. And sometimes we don't have the, the choices of like, we, sometimes we do, sometimes we're like, okay, well, this project is not as interesting. So we're going to choose this one over here, mm -hmm. but sometimes we don't have that choice and we'll continue to do other kinds of work that aren't in the kind of bullseye of the, of the projects that we want. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I want to ask a follow-up question to something you said, Josh, because I, I find it fascinating. I was going to ask you later, but you brought it up. So we're already here now because, you know, the name of the company is Great Mondays and we're going to talk about your book, similarly the same name, but talk about, you know, when you talk about building a culture and that stigma and that psychology that goes to people dreading Mondays and stuff like that. You know, kind of talk about that a little bit. And also, how much of a company culture is tied to that stigma about Mondays? Mm, yeah, I mean, the, it is a uh, kind of the symbol for this idea of if you know why you're working mm. and you're aligned with that, then you, you, don't, you don't have to dread Mondays. And what I love about this idea is it's, it's counter to everything else that our kind of American society has said in the past, which right. is you, you know, you work for a living and then you enjoy your life on the weekend. But I, I feel like we have this opportunity and I'm not saying that's what this is the, tr this is the case for every single person. It's not, but right. I think it's possible. It's not easy, but it is possible to find the kind of work that you really want to do that you find meaning and you i mean the prerequisite of course is you have to understand what motivates you as an individual right, right. but that's the that is the intent now for your listeners you're going to have people who are more likely to because we're th talking about startups and these ideas it's you, the, these people are going to be you know folks are are going to be jazzed about what they're doing because they're committing their life to it's not it's it is the hard road to take as we all know absolutely right and so you got to have something you know there's got to be something on the other side so for i think everybody here or most people in kind of the startup world can appreciate that this is the intent now i believe it's possible even for those who work nine to fives if we can help more organizations identify why they're in business beyond making money which is the one of the chapters in the book finding your purpose, then we can articulate that. Then other people can say, yes, I want to join in on that mission. That's what I want to do. And then we'll have a larger motivational force that is going to be driving us and helping us say, okay, look, we want to, I, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I want to do this kind of work. 
And that's that's the goal. That's the idea. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. So you we've kind of hinted around it, but let's kind of dive into the book. Startup Nation, Josh wrote an amazing book, Great Mondays, How to Design a Company Culture Employees Love. And so I, I want to ask you this before we dive deep into the book. What made you write the book? Did you think there was a, a void in the marketplace about building a culture correctly and stuff like that? Kind of share that a little bit, if you would. Yeah, well, I've, you know, I've wanted to... I've wanted to write a book. I just didn't know kind of what it would focus on. And, gotcha. and I mean, it would be, I knew it would be culture related and there's a lot of culture books out there and there's, there's a lot of content out there. But what I found having come in, not from like, I didn't grow up in HR or org design, right? Having come from the design side of things, I, I came in, I was like, and I could see from kind of an outsider's perspective that it was really hard to kind of put my finger on what, culture was. Mm -hmm. And so I, 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 I had experimented with defining that, but then also understanding the pieces of it. And so I had put out to my friends and colleagues and peers, this idea of components. So we came up with this little book, this little, no, it was a little folio, like this little Kinko's made, you know, was some book of like 10 pages. It was the six components of culture. Mm. And we said, look, this is kind of a hypothesis. What do you guys think? And we got a lot of great feedback. And so people said, this is really helpful. This is really helpful and help to understand kind of where are, like, what are the, the little footholds that we need? What are the levers that we need to do to, to change culture or to establish culture? And that's what the six components did. And taking that, I had sort of already road tested it. People were like, yeah, this is, this is great. That's what I built the book on. And so there is not, there are a lot of models out there around culture, but I did not feel that they were accessible and or actionable. And so I wrote this book in exactly that way. I made it very accessible. I wrote it in a very, uh, I worked very hard to make it sound like I didn't work very hard at writing it. <laughs> which is like it's very, it's very common language. I right. I tell a lot of no, you know normal people stories. Um, it's not academic because there are slews, rows and rows of books that you can go academic books on company culture. That's not very helpful. Those are interesting and they're useful, but they're not helpful. Right. So my book has is very accessible. Uh, it 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 breaks down the six components of culture, which we can talk about. But then after each of the components, I provide one or two activities that you can actually do with for yourself or with your team to, to help to begin to dive into how to define or activate that component yourself. It's not just a business book, but it's like a, it's a workbook. It's inspiration. It's a guide. There's even a, if you buy the, the hard, hard cover, there's even a, a, a secret poster uh, inside that you can hang up in your, in your cubicle as a reminder. And that, that to me, those are all the ways that I'm trying to push the conversation forward around the importance of company culture and making it more accessible for everyone to, to take care of because it's not just the CEO's job. It's not just the executive's job. It's everyone's job and everyone can play a role. And that's what I'm hoping this book provides is that, a, that little bit of a platform for people to go, yeah, I can actually get into that and start to understand what we're talking about and influence it myself. 
Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And Startup Nation, I actually have the book here and everything that Josh just said is exactly true. It does read to a point where it's very approachable. It's not meant to hit you over the head with a whole bunch of concepts and doctrines, but but more so like the stories, like Josh said, is very valuable as well. And also, I didn't even know about the poster. I just opened up the the sleeve here and I see the poster. So I appreciate that unexpected (laughs) gift here. Uh, Yeah, that's right. It's It's an Easter egg. Absolutely. It absolutely is an Easter egg. You sound like a gamer, Josh. Uh, (laughs) uh, But yeah, Startup Nation, make sure you go to the link in the show notes to purchase this book. We have it, like I said, we have the link there in the show notes for easy access. You can also go to uh, Amazon.com as well to purchase the book or from Josh's website, AskJoshLevine.com as well. I want to ask you about one of the stories in the book because you, you shared the story about the Flight Iron School and its chief operating officer, Christy Greerden. And she wanted mm-hmm. to, uh, her team to think seriously about the organization's culture. She asked them, you know, she asked them some questions, she gave, but they gave some answers. They kind of left a little to be desired there. So kind of share that story a little bit and also kind of share the concept of what a culture all-star is, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start with the, I'll start with the, the culture all-stars be, sure. because it's, it is one of the most powerful tools that we use with our clients. A culture all-star is someone who, if you could replicate, that would, provoke, that would create the, the ideal company in the future. And it, it's, the, it's the person that is not, not necessarily explicitly have uh, some sort of leadership title in their name, but someone who people will honor and they, they follow just because of kind of the work that they do and the choices that they make. They understand that they're doing the right thing. And so what we ask the executive teams to do, we say, you're not the ones that are going to be doing the work. And in this case, what you're talking about is a values creation project, which is something we do a lot. We have organizations come to us and say, hey, can you help us refresh our values? They're not working as hard as they could. And so what we do is we have those executive leadership teams nominate two or three folks that are culture all-stars to them. Uh, and we end up with a list of 20 and we try to vet them for so the different tenures, experiences, and uh, project teams and bring them together. And those are the people that we're going to dive into. They are the ideal kind of, how would you say, uh, exemplars of the culture. And they they are like samples of the culture. And we work with them very deeply. They are self-aware. They understand what we're trying to do. And they can say, look, this is what's not ideal with the culture. Here's what I want. Here's what I think we need to move towards. And those are the the kind of folks that we work very closely with. And it's a, it provides a lot of, it's a very powerful tool because not only do you get a good sampling of those folks, they present the concepts back to the executive team who chose them. So they can't refuse because it's not me, stupid uh, you know, consultant, what do you know? It's actually their high potentials that are presenting it back. So the higher likelihood of acceptance. And we have those 15 or 20 people already bought into the process and they're the ones that are going to actually live that work throughout the organization. And because people respect them, they're going to respect their choice and say, hey, look, this is really important. So that's the idea of a culture all-star and why you should use them as Absolutely. a way of understanding your own as a leader, your own values, what you're trying to determine. So as opposed to saying, I value X, Y, and Z, just say, this is the kind of person that that is really doing the work. As far as Christy and Flatiron School, so one of the challenges that we have found and the reason why I identified this project to put in the book is because 
values too often, corporate values are too often very generic. They are the same, right? Like it's like yeah. innovation, quality, and yeah. honesty <laughs> or something. Like I've, I've read that book before for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what she did with her team is they, when they, they hadn't done that before. And so what they did was the first round you're referring to is they were kind of lackluster. It was easy to kind of get to that. What they asked them then to say, look, let's dig a little deeper. When we're talking about the, what are the, the behaviors that are ideal? What are the things that we do that are unique and different for us? And how do we dig deeper as opposed to kind of just a platitude of, you know, hey, everybody should be collaborative. And that is a great way of starting to get at how do you develop unique compelling values. They should be, and this is coming from a brand guy, they should be as differentiated as your brand. Right. Because otherwise, why wouldn't someone come and work for you? What is it? How do you provide the guidance? Because what we're doing with these values is not just um, a couple things that you put up on the wall and you review once a year. They should actually guide decision-making. They should guide how organizations are managed, how managers work. And that is a really critical piece of this. And, I, and, and it's part of kind of the mission that I'm on now, which is how do I help more organizations have these really unique differentiated values? And that, that is a really amazing experience to have. I'll give you a, a specific example. Sure from a project that we just did recently. So we work with um, an organization out here in the Bay Area called PagerDuty. They just went public, high growth tech company, kind of typical Bay Area story. I won't get into the nerdiness of, uh, of their product or anything, but, what, what, but what's amazing is actually one of the things that we found when talking to their all-stars, they said, you know, we, we would like for people to be, have, take more ownership of their work. And that was one of the major themes that came up. Take more ownership for their own growth, take more ownership for their mistakes and for their successes. And so that was one of the, what we call value theme, right? So it's not, we haven't written it out, we haven't described it yet. But what happened was when we were working with the all-stars, one of the developers said, you know, one of the commands that we have in the tool, in our product is act and own is what it's called. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is if there's an error on a website, the customer will get a push message that says, you know, something's wrong and you have to push a button that says, I acknowledge and own this. So I'm going to go do something about it. And what we did was everybody, when they announced that, everybody went, oh my God, that's it. You could just feel it. Like that was, that was what the value was going to be. And it was connected to the product, which I felt like nobody can own, nobody else can have that particular one. And so when you think about how do I infuse, when I talk about a differentiated, really deeply understood value, that's a great example of that, right? So it's connected to the brand and the product. Now, it doesn't always happen like that, but we've... We've done this type of thing in the past where we've like invented a new word or worked with the all-stars to invent a new word because it made sense for this particular thing. So that's when we're talking about coming up with values, the story that we have in the book, when our experience, it's you got to go beyond the first kind of the first ordinary response. You And, and this is the same for any creative process that you right go through is you just have to keep pushing and keep pushing to get that thing that's going to be really compelling and really interesting. So, you know, th there's also a chapter where you talk about the importance of recognition and, and organizational recognition and things of that nature, because look, we have many in startup nation 
who fire companies because, you know, not necessarily because of lack of money or promotion, but it is because of lack of recognition in that organization. So talk about the importance of recognition in an organization and as a leader or a startup founder, uh, why you should be relaying that recognition and reminding that person like, hey, you're valued in this organization. Talk about that a little bit, Josh, if you would. Right. So the maybe this is the, the right time to, to talk about the six components, the framework, because recognition sure. is num- number four. So, the, so there's six components. The first three are really about the design of the culture. And those are purpose, values, and behaviors. Purpose is your North Star. It's why you're in business beyond making money. Values are your how. It's how you're going to achieve that goal, how you make those decisions. And behaviors is the result of those two things. It's kind of the, the North Star and then the, the values are your guardrails, your flags. That, that's how we establish the kind of behaviors that we want. So that's the first three. Now, just because you've done that doesn't mean abracadabra, it's everybody's going to start acting that way. That doesn't, that's not how humans work. And so you have the next three components are how we operationalize our culture. And that's recognition, rituals, and cues. So recognition is how we demonstrate what success looks like and incentivize the kind of behaviors that we want. So let me just stop there and I'll dig in because that was your question. When we think about what we recognize or what we're hoping for, the behaviors that we're looking for, the decisions, what are what are good decisions? What are the good decisions inside of, but how do you define what a good decision is? My strong belief and observation is that it's all about values-driven choices. This is why establishing values is so important, is because you need to, the choices that are made, your guidance, you're establishing, hey, everybody, this is what success looks like. You're going to reward and recognize values-driven behaviors. It is not enough to say you're going you're gonna to reward sales numbers. It's not enough to say how many widgets you've produced. That's not the end game. As a matter of fact, it actually, and I go into a whole story about this, where if you just reward outcomes, you are actually possibly incentivizing poor behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a really, right, you can, you can cheat if you have a story of the story about um, Wells Fargo. So the Wells Fargo bankers and employees were incentivized to cross-sell. And right. they, they, the man, managers and the, the management dialed that up. And they said, this is really important. Let's get, that, let's get those cross-sells. And so what they ended up doing is actually a, a, a company-wide, ended up being a scandal of, of, sell, of opening false or unauthorized accounts, tens of thousands of false or unauthorized accounts, which is highly illegal. Now, I don't think every one of those people is bad. I don't maybe don't think any any of those people that actually did it are are bad people. Right. But they're incentivized to just deliver on that outcome. What they need to be incentivized and they need to be recognized for is how they go about achieving a goal. And that's what we're talking about. So the problem with most recognition programs is that they're rewarding the wrong things. We need to be rewarding values-driven behaviors. Now, in my book, I talk about the four different kinds of recognition, which we can get into if we have time. But the key to understand about recognition and rewards is that we need to be consistent with what we're recognizing because otherwise you're going to drive people crazy. Oh, this quarter it's going to be this or this year it's going to be this and this year it's going to be this. We're underutilizing the the idea or the tool of recognition. We need to be consistent and say, hey, not everybody has to make the exact same kind of decision. Of course not. But if they are aligned with our values, 
that's how we define what we're rewarding. That is the centerpiece of every recognition program. There are are many other things that you can reward, but you have to have that centerpiece. So four, we just talked about, that's recognition. Five is rituals. Rituals are how we build and strengthen the synapses of culture. And the, the synapses of culture are relationships. Relationships are really important because culture spreads through um, interactions. So if you see me do something and it is rewarded, it is successful, it is gets a positive response, that's something that I'm inherently going to emulate as, a, as just a, a human. That's what I'll do. But if there is a, a let's say, a negative behavior and it and it's rewarded then that's also going to be like the downward spiral it's going to you know be contagious in that way so we don't we obviously don't want that we want the good thing but what happens is inside of organizations as they grow as they as they move beyond 50 100 150 200 people you start to get subcultures or silos right and everybody talks about oh we've right. got silos we got to work cross silo that's what happens and so Rituals are the repeated, regular activities that we do together. It could be outside of work or in, you know, not necessarily working with our teams and the regular folks that we work with, but trying to bridge those barriers, right? As an organization grows, there's these literal and figurative barriers emerge. You've got cubicle walls and office doors and floors of offices. And then you also have different organizations inside the, the company and roles and you're sitting, you know, engineers with engineers and finance with finance, and then you don't get to know anybody else. And so it's, it's really important to develop rituals that are going to build and strengthen relationships. And then finally, cues is the sixth component. And that's going to get us back to, the, back to the beginning. It's going to lead us back to the beginning. Cues are how we remind people of the, why we're in business in the first place. How we remind people of what we're shooting for, what we're trying to get to. They are physical, digital, and behavioral reminders of our purpose, our values, and even you know, our business goals. And those are really important because everybody's, no matter what the business is and how, how passionate you are about culture, you still got emails and quarterly reports and you got crap to do. And, right. and uh, we don't want to get buried in that. So our job is to really remember, uh, help people remember and remind people regularly about, about the culture, about why we're getting together, why we're doing this. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. So, I appreciate all of that. Once again, Startup Nation, the name of the book is Great Mondays, How to Design a Company Culture Employees Love. You can purchase that book. We have a link in the show notes uh, for easy access. But we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How do you like being on the Startup Life so far, Josh? Oh, that's amazing. We could do this all day. <laughs> awesome. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're getting great value from Josh's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. Startup Nation, Kenda and I, along with our daughter Zoe, have this thing called Target Fridays if she's had a good week at school. We stop by the snack bar for popcorn and mermaid ices. 
Startup Nation, don't judge me until you've tried them. Those ices are really good. Anyways, we then head over to the toy section so my daughter can add to her LOL doll collection. My daughter is a pretty good student, so you can imagine that we have spent a small fortune on LOL dolls. However, I can take solace in the fact that Target makes it affordable to buy those LOL dolls and anything else we need as a family. That's because Target believes you deserve quality at an affordable price. And when you're entrepreneurs like us, that's extremely important. But great deals and quality products are not exclusive to the brick and mortar version of the retail store. Target.com has even more exclusive deals that you can appreciate. And when you spend over $35, shipping is free. And I know we all love free shipping. We love to purchase the amazing kids clothes for Zoe from the exclusive to Target Cat and Jack line when we go online. So the next time you listen to the show and you are reminded that you need something for your home, Start your target journey with the link in our show notes where you can expect more and pay less. All right, Startup Nation, so let's continue. And before we get into it, I want to make a correction really quickly. So to purchase the book, it's greatmondays.com. That link is there in the show notes. And to check out, and we're going to dive into that now, to check out Josh's personal webpage, it's actually aka joshlevine.com. Both of those links are there in the show notes for easy access. Just wanted to make sure we made that correction. Uh, really quickly. But really quickly, man, tell us about the work you do with Great Mondays and and the people that you help. Yeah, this is, of course, my, my personal mission. And I'm trying to work with organizations to help them improve the work, the work lives of, of their people. You know, we're here in the Bay Area, so we have a lot of exposure to tech. So we do a lot of work with technology organizations, um, companies that are in tech, as well as social enterprise organizations. We've done work with some schools. We do work with philanthropies and foundations, all in the name of improving the experience and their the results, the bottom line business strategy. And what's interesting is most, again, this goes back to kind of the concept of the book or right. the, the thrust of the book, right, is to help people understand the broader idea how do you define culture and what can you do about it? Most people still don't understand that. And so when someone who is a HR leader inside of an organization or even for smaller companies, if you're the, the CEO or the president and you say, you know, this is, we've got a big transition happening or we can't get the right, we can't get enough people in the door or enough people in our talent funnel how do we improve our culture? Let's say, oh, a, a pain point, <laughs> a particular pain point is uh, poor ratings on glass door, right? That's like, people are like really freaked out about that. So how do you improve that? So the, what, what happens is something will kind of motivate people. They'll say, we need to hire a lot of people really quickly, but we don't know what we're hiring for, or we need to start recognizing people we don't know what to recognize for. And so they will come to us and they'll say, we need help with our culture. I think it's our values. And what's interesting about that, um, and of course, great, yes, absolutely, values are a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is that values are one part, right? We've already talked right. about the six components. It's one absolutely. part, but it's the, it's the part that people have had in their organization for a long time. It's for 20 years kind of been socially acceptable as a business tool. And so people can make an argument and can decide that that's where culture is going to start. And that's great. That is absolutely a good place to start. But what we try to do is say, great, absolutely. We can help you with your values. Let me show you the rest of what the of what culture model looks like so that you understand the context. And we try to then reveal for them the 
in the idea of the purpose and then the you know values lead to behaviors and make that case how to help them think about rolling it out once we've done that and worked with them to define what those purpose and values are how do you then incentivize it we create train the trainer programs for managers hey look this is what each of these values mean understand it and you actually have to then go and teach other people what these values are about because it doesn't just mean just because we put that headline out there and people don't understand what it is. And then how do we develop the four different types of recognition programs? What are the, what are the appropriately designed cues? What do they look like? What's a, what's something that we need to think about when we have our all hands meeting? What are the rituals that are happening already? Are they doing the best job that they can? Should it be something more? So those, that's the kind of the, briefly, the scope of work is really first, it's, it's, it is usually starts with the first three, help us refresh, redesign, establish what kind of culture we want, and then how do we activate it or operationalize it so that then it can become a business tool that we can manage. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And Startup Nation, just to give you an idea of some of the client lists that Josh has worked with, it's, it's Toyota, IBM, Credit Karma, Microsoft, and more. So he's definitely out here doing the work and, and helping major corporations build the right culture and activate that culture, like he just said. So I, I want to ask you this, because you're also a, a Forbes contributor, and you wrote a piece called, Are Your Employees Assets or Liabilities? That depends on what you reward. So talk about the motivation behind that piece a little bit, because I think that was a little, that's a, that was an interesting piece. Yeah. So that was the most recent piece that we put out. And it was, it really, we touched on it already, which is this idea. I just felt like I needed to have even more room to talk about recognizing and rewarding the how of work and not just the what. So I told you that story about Wells Fargo. Um, The story you can even look at thinking about even more immediate right now Boeing and the story of the 737 MAX and what was done and how that was mismanaged, someone somewhere along the way said, hey, we're actually going to, we know this isn't, this isn't, this is maybe not quite as safe as it should be, but we're going to go ahead and try to cheat or convince FAA otherwise. And and you got to think, okay, that's all part and parcel of leadership and the kind of decisions that are allowed to be made. And the goal was to get these 737s up in the air. But what we're seeing is that when you reward those outcomes and not the the how you do it, it is a misincentive. And we need to think more deeply about not just rewarding the numbers on the on the end, but rewarding how people do it. It's relationship building. I tell a story in the in the article about a uh, medical uh, medical device sales guy, and he is a, a region manager. And they're often, you know, as any sales organization, they're incentivized to sell products. And sometimes those products are not the ideal fit for the particular situation. He's in the operating room. He's, you know, he's there with a person's, you know, like person is, is open, his, the shoulder is being, you know, is, is, is being replaced or the knee or whatever it might be. And he understands that his, even though he's rewarded on moving product and he would get kind of an immediate, like if he were able to sell more of a something else, he would get an immediate benefit financial benefit. But what he's really doing, he's, he, what, he, what I describe in the, the article is he says, you know what, 
I'm actually prioritizing the relationship with that surgeon and building that trust. And that's what's the most important. So I'm going to not recommend the product short-term loss in order to build the trust, which is a long-term gain. And so my argument in the, in the, in the piece is we need to do more of the recognition of the how we do the work and less of the what ends up happening. Because the what is always the result of the how. We have to think about how we do it. It's, it's a lot easier to measure the what. When you think about right. widgets or sales, right? Like those numbers, have, it's so easy. And that makes a lot of sense. And that's what you're rewarded on. That's what the market rewards you on when you think about stock price or something, you know, short-term stock price. But we need to be, when we're thinking about culture, culture is, a, of course, an immediate benefit, but it's really about a long-term investment in the company. And that's really what I'm trying to articulate here is that we need to start recognizing how we do our work, values-driven behaviors, how people choose to go about their day, and how they make those decisions. That is, that is ultimately you know, my strong belief and I just, you can hear in the piece how right. how convinced how convinced I am of, of of this and how how important it is to me and that I think this is we really need to start shifting how we manage our businesses in this way no i I definitely agree with that because when you talk about you know the willingness because I really think it's one of those things where it's like in this high pace you know driven society where you got to meet goals or or uh, certain thresholds and stuff like that. I think some of that long-term relationship building, like you talked about, really does get lost. And it's funny you mentioned Wells Fargo. I actually know exactly what you're talking about because I used to be a personal banker at, oh, Wells Fargo right. at that time. So I know yep. exactly what you're talking about. And that is honestly one of the reasons why I left. I didn't, uh, I oh, didn't appreciate, yeah, it's, I didn't appreciate the fact that we were kind of told to uh, have these goals and to kind of, wink, wink, do whatever it is you got to do. So, but I definitely appreciate that notion and everything you were sharing, Josh, for sure. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. Sure. Yeah. That's you. Yeah. You, yeah, all right. You know, you know, firsthand. <laughs> absolutely. I absolutely do for sure. So I, I want to ask you this because, you know, you keynoted all over the place and you talk at many venues, you talked at Stanford before, and there's many people who fear public speaking. What advice would you give them, Josh? Oh man. Yeah, this is, <laughs> um, yeah. What is this? There's some sort of stat, like 99% of people would rather like die than, you know, speak in public. And, right. and um, it's the opposite for me. I, I love being up in front of an audience and, but the truth is, is I still get nervous when I'm up there. And what I've been taught is that, you know, you think about that nervous energy is also exciting energy. It's the same feeling and you use that, you channel that energy to really commit to it. That's a really important piece of it. The other thing that I would say is work towards knowing what your story is so that you can articulate it no matter if you have your slides or not. And don't get so stuck on the, whatever the note cards are or the, you know, the, the bottom of your, you know, PowerPoint, you've got those notes, right? You know, I design my presentations and I happen to be lucky cause I, I'm a designer and I can do that. Um, I design my presentations just to kind of be a, a visualization of the main point of that slide. Here's what I want to talk about. And I will just, I know the subject well enough that I'm just going to tell the story. I might not hit every point and that's okay. I, I 
am of the strong belief that we need to trade completeness for compellingness. And uh, what I try to do is stand up there, make a connection with the audience. And if you're too involved, either in your head, remembering what that is to, you know, what you're trying to say, or on, you know, reading from the slide, you're not prioritizing the audience. And so it does take a while to really understand what you're trying to say, but just tell a story. And, you know, you know where that story, you know, what's the beginning, the middle, and the end. And maybe there's some stats that you leave out. It's okay. They don't know. Even if they know, they don't care. You, part of your job is to inform and entertain and to make sure that you are conveying, like, what's the one idea you want people to walk away with? That's it, right? Like, what's that one? Or maybe there's like, here's the three main points. Lead up to that. That's all you need to say. And that's fine. You need to make that connection. So kind of relax and let go of that. Let go of the expectation that you're going to hit all your points. You'll never hit all your points. And that's okay. At least then, you know, then you have something else to say next time too. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. Josh, let me ask you this big question. So when, you know, at the end of the day, when you're about 70, 80 years old and you start to, you know, you know, think about retirement and things of that nature and you're, getting a lifetime and achievement award. If somebody were to speak about Josh and his legacy, what would they say? Um, uh, they would say that I was one of the key figures in the rise of power of culture in business and that that was the reason that more people than ever are not only engaged, highly engaged and productive in their work, but excited about the work that they do. Gotcha. Josh, which I believe all entrepreneurs have a superpower. What's yours and why? Uh, my superpower is being able to tell that story in a, in a way that people can hear. I use all the tools at my disposal, the design, the writing, and the speaking to really get that out there. I love working in front of people and connecting with people. So I'm blessed with a lot of charisma and personality, and I, I use that to spread my message. I hear that. That. And before I ask you the last question, Josh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Startup Life Podcast, powered by the Binge Podcast Network. You gave amazing value from building the culture to uh, building those long-term relationships within the culture. And so I appreciate all of that. But I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you, my man, because look, there's an entrepreneur out there that's you know feeling stuck in their business or they're afraid to even start. Give them some words of motivation, tell them to keep moving forward. Yeah, it's the long game. Um, and, you know, even if you can't give up your full-time job immediately, which most people can't, there's always something you can do. We have the opportunity in the world to, gosh, more opportunity than we've ever had before to practice, to study, to get our, you know, even just to kind of start up a a little web page and start writing or recording podcasts or whatever it might be and just to start uh, don't don't wait for the perfect time out here in the bay area we talk a lot about design thinking and part of that is prototyping and reiterating and learning and you'll never get it right if you don't get it wrong first and that's that's a really important piece and so if you need to study more or write more or whatever it might be. Don't let the reality of today keep you from the opportunity of tomorrow. I hear that. I hear that. And that's going to wrap up this session of the startup life. Did you enjoy being on the show? That was great. 
Absolutely. Uh, if I can, and if I can just, just plug for a second, um, yeah, I have sure. a ton of resources at greatmondays.com. Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. So we have a lot of stuff, all the exercises that are in the book, you can download for free at the website, greatmondays.com. We also have a, we send out once a month, a powerful culture tool through our email called one minute Mondays. You can sign up for that there, uh, get on our mailing list, find out about our next course where you can learn about company culture, a lot of different webinars. So if you're interested in going deeper into company culture, check out greatmondays.com. Absolutely. And Startup Nation, we have all of those links there in the show notes uh, for easy access. I appreciate all of that, Josh, for sure. Hi, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. When it comes to Josh and what he does at Great Mondays, look, it's super important that you pay attention to who those culture all-stars are. Josh will tell you any great organization is not going to move forward if there's not culture and there's not a buy-in into uh, a great culture. And Josh really lays that out in his book, Great Monday. But also what Josh points out is that, look, your organization is only as good as the people that are in that organization. So if you treat them right, they treat you right, they treat the customers right, and ultimately you have a great culture in your business. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, If you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.